Today on Ag News Daily. Social sustainability, that's so people can afford food. But you also got to have economic sustainability so farmers can continue farming. So it's that, it's that three-legged stool of sustainability that we all want to work for. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here, joining you today from Bozeman, Montana, and joined, of course, by Ashton Carr coming at you from Lubbock, Texas. Ashton, we are closer, I think, now than we would be when I'm in Iowa. Actually, I'm not 100% positive on that. You know, I'm not really good with geography, and if you've listened to the podcasts recently with me and Brent on the Dryline Farmer, you would know that, so I couldn't tell you if we're closer or not, but I'm glad you guys made it safely. So am I. I tell you what, this part of the country is absolutely gorgeous. I've already seen some wheat fields, hay fields, irrigation systems. So I'm looking forward to just taking some pictures, snapping some pictures. I'll make sure and share those with you, Ashton, so we can share them on our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram page. But this part of the world is very, very beautiful, surrounded by mountains. And it's just so interesting to see how agriculture works within that system here. Yeah, I'm super excited to see the pictures that you take and hear a little bit more about your trip next week. But before that, Delaney, I want to know what kind of news you're following on on today. Well, I am bringing this to the podcast. We do follow, you know, what's going on in the general economy as well, because of course that impacts what we do in the business of agriculture. And we saw unemployment numbers drop in the month of August to 8.4% as reported by the Labor Department today. They said that U.S. employers added about 1.4 million jobs as the economy continues to rebound during the coronavirus pandemic. So we've nearly cut our unemployment rate in half. It was about 15% in April at the beginning of the pandemic. And so now we're here at 8.4%. So that's great news. We're starting to see folks go back to work, starting to see the economy open up at least for now. Yeah, that's certainly exciting. And I didn't look too much into this article. I skimmed over it a little bit that I saw on Facebook earlier, but apparently Governor Greg Abbott down here in Texas is looking at moving forward with opening the state back up. I'm not exactly sure to what extent. I'm just assuming it's restaurants and things like that, not bars, because even in Lubbock, we are seeing coronavirus cases spike here lately with school being back in session. Yeah, I think a lot of places are, or a lot of states are kind of stuck in the middle of whether or not they should reopen the state, should they not reopen. It's uh, definitely a little bit of a cautious time right now, I think, for a lot of states. But luckily for me here in Montana, most of the state seems to be pretty open. You look at the people per capita, not a huge population lives in Montana. So I certainly appreciate that being out here. Yeah, it's definitely a weird limbo that we're in right now as a country. But moving on from that, I am keeping a look on the virtual Miles for Monarchs event set to coincide with fall migration of those monarch butterflies. And it sounds really neat. I have never heard of Miles for Monarchs, but it's coinciding, like I said, with that fall monarch migration. And Pheasants Forever and the Monarch Joint Venture are hosting a national virtual Miles for Monarchs event September 5th through the 12th. And so that starts tomorrow because I believe today is the 4th, if I'm thinking correctly. And this event was... You're right. Awesome. (laughs) This event was 
scheduled to raise awareness around the fall migration of monarch butterflies while also raising much needed funding to support population recovery. And my grandma is a huge butterfly fanatic, so I might just have to send this over to her. But Miles for Monarchs is an exciting way to support monarch butterflies and associated pollinator habitats through athletic activities. And so you can go out and run, walk, bike, hike, or paddle through monarch regions of the United States. And individuals and teams can support funding for research, education, and habitat projects for monarch butterflies across North America. And funds raised through this virtual event will support national-scale efforts through the Monarch Joint Venture and Pheasants Forever, as well as more localized support for their participating chapters and partners. So definitely check that out if you're an athletic person or just to get out there and help our pollinators. Wait, I have to go back to something you mentioned there, Ashton. Did you say your grandma was a butterfly enthusiast? Yes. Can you tell me what that means? Does she just <laughs> like to watch butterflies? Does she like collect them and then store them in like those little pressed booklet things? Oh, she's not to that extent, but she loves to be outside and, and plant flowers and stuff like that. So she has a garden in her backyard that her and my younger sister often tend to, and they watch the butterflies as they come in and out. And so she knows a little bit about butterflies. So I'm going to have to mention this to her and see if she gets out and walks with some of her friends in the neighborhood. Okay. Gotcha. I just wanted to make sure she wasn't like collecting them or keeping them in jars or something like that. Yeah, definitely not not that. What, what is the <laughs> word for those people that do that? It's there's some um, scientific word that has to do with bugs, and I cannot like an remember. entomologist. There we go. Yes, is that what you're thinking exactly of? What okay. I was thinking. Okay. The only reason I know that is because there's an ad that plays on the radio that advertises an entomologist in Des Moines area that is like obsessed with bugs. You know, that's kind of like their radio gimmick is he likes bugs, so he wants to come to your house and you know, capture your bugs. So that's the only reason I know that word off the top of my head. <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, we've got a good conversation or rather not a conversation, but a Q&A session coming up here on the podcast in just a little bit. Yesterday, as I mentioned, Secret Purdue was traveling around the state of Iowa. He made, I believe, three different stops to talk to farmers and ranchers and lawmakers about a variety of issues, including, of course, Iowa's disaster and storm damage that we had after the derecho storm. But he also offered comments, and I won't give too much away. You all can hear it for yourself here in just a little bit. Again, let, let me just actually set this up for you all first. So media gaggle is what was going on. Basically, it's, you know, 15, 10, 20, 30, however many reporters flooding Secretary Purdue, shoving their microphones or cameras in his face, asking him questions for about, uh, I believe it was like 11 minutes. Is that right, Ashton? Yes, the audio clip that we have is about 11 minutes long. Okay, so these folks, these reporters, and I've been in on it, it's tough, especially if you're holding out a microphone, arm's length, you got your arm extended that whole 11 minutes because you cannot miss anything he says. So that's coming up here in just a little bit. But, you know, reporters asked some really good questions, one of which was, what's going to happen with a CFAP payment here, kind of a round two payment? And so Secretary Purdue indicated yesterday that the rules for the payments for kind of a CFAP 2.0, if you will, should be announced next Friday. 
is what uh, this article is saying. But again, you guys can listen up here and hear it for yourself. And he also, of course, is putting a lot of pressure to get some economic and disaster relief dollars for the state of Iowa. But uh, yeah, just wanted to set up what this whole picture was so you all can visualize it, you know. 30 of your closest friends during COVID when you're supposed to be social distancing, uh, sticking uh, their microphones in uh, Secretary Purdue's face, trying to get good questions answered for you folks. But that is coming up in just a little bit. Yeah, a lot of the news stories that I was reading today had to deal with Secretary Purdue and what he said during that Q&A session and him going out to Iowa and seeing, you know, ground zero, basically, of the derecho storm. But I did find one other article or news story that I wanted to share with you dealing, not dealing with that. The Soil Health Institute has been awarded $3.25 million from the United States Department of Energy's Advanced Research Projects Agency Energy. The, the funds will be used to develop an integrated soil carbon measurement and monitoring system called the Deep system, which will provide standardized carbon sequestration monitoring needs for carbon marketing in agriculture. The system includes infield measurement tools, an optimized spatial sampling algorithm, and machine learning that leverage the current infrastructure of national soil spectroscopy libraries. Use, users will be able to obtain rapid measurements of soil carbon stock. According to CHI Chief Scientific Officer Christine Morgan, the technology will benefit farmers and ranchers by reducing the time and cost for measuring soil carbon, thereby supporting their participation in carbon markets. So I thought it was pretty interesting, and I made a little note to see if they would be interested in coming on a Tech Tuesday segment. Yeah, I think that would be a great idea, Ash. And I mean, carbon sequestration is really hot right now. There's a lot of companies getting into it. We'll see if a lot of them last with that, but uh, definitely would be a good Tech Tuesday interview. Well, I tell you what, Delaney, I'm all out of news. It's a little bit of a slower day, like I said, kind of focusing a lot on Secretary Sonny Perdue being in Iowa, but do you have any other stories you'd like to share with us? You know what? The only other thing I was just going to mention as we head into the markets, because this could impact markets as weather always does, but I uh, was looking at Twitter earlier today. Sounds like parts of the Dakotas and kind of the western Corn Belt area might get hit with some frost into next week or parts of next week. So it's starting to cool off. We might see some crops get hit from that, might see a little bit of frost damage. Hard to believe that we're talking about that at the beginning of September here, but uh, that's always something that the markets are watching. And I don't think the markets were watching that yet today. That's probably going to have to be actually realized before we see that factored into the markets. But again, we saw corn and soybeans close higher on the day, starting off here with the September corn contract up two and three quarters cent to close at 347 and a quarter. The December up four and a quarter cent to close at 358 even. In the soybean pits, the September contract up a three quarters of a cent to close at 969 and a half. The November added two pennies on the day to end at 9.68. In the Chicago wheat pits, the September contract closed lower three and a half cents to end at 5.39 and three quarters. The December shedding three pennies today to close at 5.50 and a quarter. 
hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets. Green across the screen as the October live cattle contract added 52.5 cents to close at 104.45. December added 65 cents to close at 108.47.5. In the feeder cattle pits, the September contract added a nickel today to close at 137.65. October added 17.5 cents to close at 138.50. In the lean hog markets, the lean hogs October contract added 57.5 cents today to close at 59.82.5. December added 27 cents to close at 58.25. And rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures. The September contract added 23 cents to close at 17.05. The October shed three pennies to close at 18.93. Without further ado, let's kick it over to that Q&A session held yesterday in Iowa with the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. I'm here today in Iowa with the invitation of uh, both Senator Ernst and uh, Governor Reynolds, obviously, to come and view. Uh, we talked, I guess, just a day or so after the windstorm, and uh, I committed to come and we want to give a few days for assessment so that we can make a determination of uh, our, our secretarial designation area, and we've done that. Uh, and yet there's still consideration for other counties that may be involved that are not enumerated right now. We call them deferral counties. We're trying to finish up the assessments there. The the rules say there has to be at least a 30% loss in the county, and that's what the, that's what the difference is. It unlocks all the USDA programs that Senator Ernst and her colleagues have provided in the Farm Bill. Uh, obviously, crop insurance being the biggest uh, uh, safety net there. And uh, I've indicated, although we don't have regulatory authority over the uh, the insurance companies, uh, I'm troubled by some of the inconsistencies of uh, that we see in crop insurance determination. So I'm going to talk with our insurance companies and see if we can't get more consistency in evaluating the loss of uh, uh, crop insurance loss of farmers in Iowa, so we can uh, do that. One neighbor uh, has determined a total loss, and the other one has to uh, go through the process of combining and combining the crop and may not get anything. So we're going to work on that. But I want to thank uh, uh, these two women have been strong advocates and encouraging to me. I know that uh, I think uh, I think they talk to the president more than I do. Uh, I know <laughs> Governor Reynolds and. Senator Ernst, I think, or I think they always got him on speed dial. But anyway, <laughs> they are strong advocates for their state, and uh, I'm glad to be here with uh, Senator Ernst. As she clicked off her 99th county in Iowa, she's not hiding anywhere. She's out among the people talking about uh, what uh, what needs to be done. Obviously, they've done a lot, but there's a lot left to be done always in agriculture as well as uh, for anything. So, with that opening, I'll we'll take some questions, and you can direct them to me or the governor or the senator. Secretary Purdue, what were your thoughts when you did the flyover to see this crop down at such fast? I mean, there's so much down. Well, I have the heart of a farmer. As a farm boy, sad, somber, sobering, and uh, uh, heartbreaking for the people who put their sweat, blood, and tears on the crop to produce it. Looking forward to good harvest, almost to the point there, uh, beginning a harvest, and uh, and then just just devastation. I mean, it's like whether we have a house fire or, or uh, 
a tornado or anything like that, that's when it, when your total feels are that way, then it's uh, it's very, very sobering. Secretary, are you going to be able to uh, initiate the WIPS Plus program for farmers? You know, if it was under my authority, I could do that. Uh, we Those are called uh, ad hoc disaster programs, and uh, we can't do that. We can't originate that under USDA. Uh, that's under the direction of Congress. What we'll do is calculate if there's any money left over that's been appropriated for previous disaster programs and uh, let them know that. We, we, we inform Congress of that. And then they get together and determine. Obviously, you got situation in uh, Louisiana, uh, kind of in a similar situation right now. And uh, so we'll we'll inform Congress, and they'll make a determination. I imagine uh, they're still talking about other programs or, for COVID. So you could possibly see something like that in, in, in that kind of legislation or a continuing resolution uh, later. Uh, I'm, 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 it's illegal for me to lobby Congress, but we're going to give them all the information they need to make a good decision. We'll certainly we'll <laughs> we advocate can help. for that. Well, certainly it is something that we will be talking about as we return to Congress next week. And I'm still informing all of my colleagues about the damage that we have seen here across the Midwest. Uh, I was on with a, a national radio show earlier today, and that host, he he had never heard of a derecho before until he heard it coming from me. And so we just need to draw uh, recognition to what's happened here in the state and then pursue that. So thank you. Secretary, when do you expect to announce the second round of the coronavirus assistance program? Yeah. Maybe yeah, I can tell you the answer to the first question better, but until the rule is goes announced, I, I can't really talk about all the provisions, although uh, I can go back and say the, the CFAP program, uh, when Congress had appropriated $9.5 billion, we took the 6 dollars that we had in the uh, Commodity Credit Corporation for the $16 billion direct program. That was CFAP 1. But you may remember... That really went up to April 15th. I thought it was very important to get money in the hands quickly. I want to thank our FSA people for doing that very quickly. Those applications in this, this next Monday, I think the 11th, that way. Before then, we'll have the rules out for the second CFAP2, which takes us from April uh, 15th on through the rest of the year. And while there was kind of a cliff between cattle over what the uh, compensation was before April 15th and afterwards, You'll see some of that smoothed out, as well as a 20% holdback. You'll see that released as well. But then we will have more crops. We did what's called a NOFA, a Notice of Funding Availability, and asked people the things that we missed. What did we What did we miss there? And there were like 49 other commodities there that were included. So it's going to be like about 89 different commodities there. And uh, we will also uh, will also probably have some uh, aquatic aquaculture type of coverage in that as well, plus other types of specialty crops that had not been in CPAP too, as well as commodities, livestock, and others. Would ethanol be part of that? No, ethanol can't be part of that because there's not enough money. From a processing perspective in CCC, uh, that's another thing that we'd have to be given authority to do. We've heard from textiles, we've heard from uh, uh, timber and others, but I can tell you Senator Burns and Senator Grassley have been aggressively uh, lobbying their own colleagues about the 
the need for the ethanol processing industry. Is there something that needs to be done um, about the increasingly extreme nature of the weather in Iowa and other agricultural states? I'm willing. What do you suggest? Well, I mean, do you think that there should be like some more programs about, you know, diversifying crops and creating crop resilience, you know, that like every other year is a flood or a drought or, you know, an extreme storm? You know, that's what farmers do. They 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 deal with it every year. I'd be the last one to try to tell Iowa farmers what to plan or how to do that. Uh, we've got these safety net programs that work very well. Uh, it never considers utter disaster like hurricanes or floods. Uh, but I think if you look back and ask farmers from last year when the prevented plant came along and uh, allowing them to use the cover crops and harvest them, I think where USDA and this administration has been extremely flexible. Weather risk has always been a part of farming. It will always be a part of farming. We can't remove that weather risk there that happens. That's why I think President Trump loves farmers because they just keep getting knocked down and keep getting back up and doing what they've been doing. But do you think with crop insurance, it's going to become like increasingly expensive to continue subsidizing this as like crops get more and more destroyed by these extreme weather events? Well, it will be an insurance program is going to be a net zero sum game at the end. Farmers will possibly have to pay more if they're uh, events overall. Uh, uh, the federal government will contribute more in that regard, but uh, uh, that's why it's there. That's the, that's the basic safety net in which producers participate in a risk management scheme of adopting whatever level of crop insurance they want or, wh or where they don't want. Uh, Senator Ernst, you asked the President last week to talk to EPA about uh, the oil refineries I will be able to follow up next week. Um, yes, I have had recent, very recent conversations, and we are working through that. Uh, do you expect to answer before November 7th? Yes, I do. That is uh, one thing we've advocated, certainly, for the White House and uh, our, our friend uh, in the EPA. I know there's some conversation about uh, uh, Andrew Wheeler. He's been uh, fairly friendly to agriculture. In, with the one exception of these small refinery waivers. and uh, But I want to say, irrespective of what happens in the future regarding refinery waivers, President Trump has committed 15 billion gallons equals 15 billion gallons. I don't think we understand that. If, if any waivers are issued, and we're advocating to hold nationally to the Tenth Circuit decision uh, that limits it very severely about who's even eligible for those extensions, but if one or two were granted, that means the RVO or the obligation up here is going to be 15 billion gallons plus what's ever granted to equal a net of 15 billion gallons. That's what the law calls for, and that's what the president's committed, and that's what we expect. The industry says that hasn't happened. We're talking about the past. We're talking about the this, past this three years. Forward. We're talking about going forward is when the president's committed uh, that, and that's that's a surety. But and anything that will be exempted, if anyone qualifies, and I'm not saying they will or they won't, but if they do, it's going to be on top of the line and subtracted from to net 15 billion gallons. That's an important consideration. Last question. Secretary, the ERS farm income forecast that came out yesterday is estimating that the government payments this year will total $37 billion. Yeah. Can you explain how this kind of government support um, for farmers is sustainable? Well, I know that most farmers don't want it to be sustainable. They'd much rather have uh, crops or check coming through the scales at the elevator than coming through the mailbox. But I, I can tell you one thing, 
the President Trump is committed to not to let China, uh, through retaliation, interfere with that. He's not going to allow COVID to, to interfere with that. And that's where these funds are coming from. So I'm hopeful. He's hopeful that we don't have to support farmers like that. And they are hopeful as well that we don't have to. They need, they'd rather have a good crop at a fair price going forward than any kind of government check. And that's our goal. That's what Secretary Nag, Governor Reynolds, Secretary Ernst all want for farming is to be economically sustainable. Look, this is a great environmental project here today. But there are three pillars of sustainability. You've got environmental sustainability, just like we're doing here today at the Stoley Project. But you need social uh, economic, social sustainability. That's so people can afford food. But you also got to have economic sustainability so farmers can continue farming. So it's that it's that three-legged stool of sustainability that we all want to work for. No farmer in the country wants to work for a government check. Well, even though neither of us could be there, Delaney, it was certainly exciting being able to hear from Ag Secretary Sunny Purdue, and uh, just excited to see what happens with this second round of CFAP. Absolutely. I think a lot of farmers are wishing that things had gone differently this year, that we weren't having to rely on some of those government programs. But thankfully, it sounds like our legislators are working to get some of that stuff put in place for our folks this year. But we're going to continue watching that story and many others to come on the Ag News Daily podcast. You can find us and interact with us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.